Welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quinlan, joined by our editor, Russell Johnson. And um, it's been kind of a quiet week in some ways. Uh, Russell, the last week on the flats, obviously had a probably the most uneventful signing day that I can remember uh, for the February period, my time covering Georgia Tech, of course. The early signing period adopted a few years ago really changed a lot of that. And then limitations, uh, lack of visits, uh, changing clock. I think one thing that people haven't realized with a lot of this is the fact that kids couldn't take visits, and this is totally a dead period, pushed people to go ahead and sign in December that may have also held off a little bit as well. I think that you saw some kids um, just kind of forced into making decisions that normally would have taken visits in the in that January time frame. So I think it just kind of sort of killed the February signing period. I mean, really between all of our sort of content avenues with other uh, schools as well, we there just wasn't much to cover on, um, on, on Wednesday uh, for the signing day. And, and I mean, to me, it was kind of just a big thud for everybody and Georgia Tech had done all their work in December. Yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, you're even talking about the, the other schools we cover and, they were expecting to have, you know, like multiple signatures and, and things like, of that nature. And they actually ended up only getting one and, you know, just seeing how that kind of played out and just how not, I wouldn't call it dead, but how much like slower things were like, there was never any, any time point or time frame on Wednesday where I thought for any second, the rivals was going to crash. <laughs> or was in any danger of even the board being like crazy busy or anything even no yeah i mean exactly it was uh it was you know the main topic and it it seems like the board really since you know december kind of shifted towards 22 i mean you know we had the the sebastian sager situation and uh, all the people who know him who were texting my phone which was (laughs) quite an adventure um you know, that was Someday um, I get to tell that story, Russell, on here um, in a few years when maybe when he's done in college, we can tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. When, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, oh gosh, it was great. Um, but just, you know, that was really the only drama was him, you know, decommitting, decommitting from <laughs> Georgia tech and, you know, finding a new place back closer to home in at Rhode Island. Um, that, like I said, that was really the only only drama there was. And then, you know, you had the, the thought that possibly, you know, they had kicked the tires on Savion Collins. Um, but I think, you know, everybody can kind of read between their own lines and figure things out when you see that Savion Collins signed with Florida International. Um, you know, Collins has, yeah. Collins has a great, great, uh, you know, film. He's good on the football field. There's just there's just some other things there, and you know, a lot of schools opted to to move elsewhere. Yeah, I think that um, it's one of those tricky things, right, for us. Like, I'm not, we're not trying to call kids out on academics or personal issues as much as possible, um, or whatever it is, or just kids making dumb decisions or blowing their uh, opportunities by you know big time of people. There's all kinds of different stories and. 
And there were a lot of kids who fell through the cracks. Uh, you know, Russell and I know of a running back who was at one time committed to an ACC school that we think is going to end up at a JUCO. They didn't sign with anyone on Wednesday. That's pretty talented. Like, there's just kids falling through the cracks left and right. And I think it's a lot of fallout from the, the dead period. I think there's fallout from uh, just the transfer portal and everything that's going on there as teams are trying to kind of, um, you know, chew fat and you have kids also getting impatient, not waiting their turns or getting upset over depth chart stuff and, and bailing out on schools pretty quickly. And, you know, I look around and it's like, you know, between us, we probably know 100, 150 kids in the portal right now, which is crazy. And, you know, 30 of them maybe landed on their feet right now, and the rest of them are all just kind of spinning um, or going down a level or going down two levels. Some of them are going to, like, D2 schools, like, or going to, you know, um, weird JUCOs or community colleges or whatever to try to play. And these kids walked away from, you know, even if it's not Georgia Tech, other schools where there was good degrees and, and decent situation where maybe they're third on the depth chart and they, sh you know, felt like they were not getting their their just due and leave. And hopefully, this is going to be a sobering moment. I hope a lot of high school coaches are paying attention to this stuff and and that college coaches will point this out because it really doesn't benefit if you're a redshirt freshman and you're not playing. It's not time to jump out of the Cool. Now, if you've been in the program for four years, you can't get on the field on special teams. Yeah, you should be exploring your options. But um, there's just there's been a lot of stupidity in the last year from from people not reading their situations properly, and, and it goes on in the coaching world too. You see lots of coaches make dumb decisions on their own in terms of jumping jobs or casting their lot with the wrong guy or whatever it is. So. It cuts both ways, but my goodness, like, there's plus walk-ons and everything. There's going to be 2,000-plus kids in the portal, and, you know, 300 spots maybe, you know, 400 if they're lucky. And I, I mean, I guess let's say every school takes two or three, and there's 130. We're only looking at, you know, seven, 800. I mean, it's – easily a two to one ratio at worst probably three to one on spots versus uh kids in the portal that's terrible math like those are bad odds like this ain't baseball you're not trying to bet 300 you want at worst yeah. a 50 50 shot right so i don't know man it's um it's been an ugly ugly situation um for a lot of these kids who are going to end up uh, yeah hopefully they can go back to school or something because some of them are not going to be playing football. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's the, like you said, the kind of the sobering part um, because I know of a couple, you know, power five kids who entered the transfer portal and, you know, they didn't like their options and they went back to the school they were going to before and were like, Hey, I'd like to come back. And they're like, yeah, do you see, well, they didn't actually say, you know, Hey, do you see that guy over there? He took your spot. But, in reality, that's what happened. And, uh, you know, these kids aren't going to be able to, to go back to the schools they were at. And um, that's the, the type of situation, the type of risk that, that these kids got to take. Um, I mean, unless you're a big D tackle or you run fast as hell, um, if you weren't playing, you probably are not going to 
have a great shot. And everyone always thinks that, um, you know, that these schools are, everyone has these opportunities and that if I leave, I have the same options I had as a high school recruitment. And it's like buying a used car, man. Like the value, it's a terrible analogy because you don't want to look at people like property, but it's not like a house that holds its value. A car, you're like a used car. And the moment you drive off the lot, you sign that LOI and enroll in a school, your value depreciates until you can prove it on the field and you become a classic yep. car or whatever. You know, it's a shitty analogy, but. Um, no, I, I agree with it. I think it's. Um, that's a, I guess a great it, way see, it comes it. off as kind of. Um, uh, uh, lack of sensitivity, I guess, on my part, but it's the best thing I can think of to compare, right? Like, um, you know, you and I both bought cars in the last year. Like, as soon as we drove it off the lot, we lost money. You know what I mean? Like, you can't turn around and sell it back to somebody for the same money. Right. Um, and that's what's going on. Or it's like any other thing you, you kind of can do like that. Um, it just loses some value as soon as you have used it. And, yeah. and, and um, you know, I, I, I had a coach famously tell me, um, you know, I don't want someone else's trash. He was talking about transfers. He said, he goes, you know, seven out of 10 times, it's not going to work out. Like he's like, so that's not a great percentage. He's like, I feel like I can bat better on high school kids than I can taking transfers. And this particular coach just was pretty much against it. And, you know, it, it, it's different for every school, right? So like Georgia Tech or South Florida or Central Florida or Miami, these schools that are located where they have a huge talent base can be a little bit different because you can get a lot of kids coming back home, like Kenyatta Watson or, um, you know, Antonius Clayton did or Nick Penley or whoever. There's a lot of these kids that are coming back home. That's one thing, right? If you're yeah. in Ames, Iowa, you know, you got to be a little more careful because the, the kids that are going to want to come to Ames, Iowa are going to be a lot different or Lawrence, Kansas or yeah you know it's just not the same like there's not kids coming you're not getting you're no at georgia there's tech, no talent can, base yeah at georgia tech you can get some kids on the rebound that are nice and jeff would be the first to tell you jeff collins that he's got to be picky about it too because they've probably taken one or two they probably shouldn't have and that's going to happen here and you know they're hitting a pretty decent rate on the ones they've taken but it's, you know, some of that too is them trying to make up for classes and attrition and the scheme changes and they took more than they would normally take. Whereas um, yeah. a more established programs taking one or two or maybe three at the most. And that's, I think, I think that's going to be the norm um, going forward. I think you're going to see four or five. You're not going to see seven or eight. This year will be what, eight if they get a kicker, I think. Um, something like that. So, you know, that's the stuff you gotta, that's where you gotta be careful. You want to be able to go pick up, um, you know, uh, Devin Cochran. That makes a lot of sense, right? Like a guy who's a multi-year starter. Um, yeah. A taken, you know, Joe Blow, who was the third team left tackle, not, you know, at, at Auburn. Probably not going to take that kid, 
you know, like no, unless you need class separation and like an older body, like you're, that's the only reason to take some of those kids. So this is going to be an interesting thing. I think the 22 class for Georgia Tech will be more high school centric than this 2021 class where they, I think they're in the mood now that they realize they need to start winning to move the needle a little bit. And oh, unfortunately COVID stole a lot of the, the charm um, and some of the hype off of the program. So I think there's an understanding that people want to see like some wins now and, and the team to be more competitive week to week uh, and yeah. consi- consistent. I would say consistent. They were competitive in a lot of games. It just was really consistencies. Um, and so that's, you know, they're taking in their motto, their off season mottos win. I forget what the, the what the actual acronym is for. What's you know? important now. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's important to win now if you're Jeff Collins because that's going to be the thing that opens money up that allows him to do uh, the things he wants to do at Georgia Tech because I think there's a lot of people now kind of in this let's show me what you can do phase, right, instead of, um, yeah. you know, the benefit of the doubt, this is a new thing, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, I, I, I know Jeff didn't imagine six wins in two years coming in either. So, I think everyone's a little bit frustrated how slowly this has started. I think that uh, I, I think it's cool they're embracing the idea that you, you got to do better. And this is a place with a long history of at least being, you know, even if you go back to the worst seasons that Paul Johnson or Leary had, most of their losses were really competitive those years. And they've had far more uncompetitive losses the last two years than probably go, you have to go back to like Bill Lewis maybe um, or early Ross. So, you know, that that's like just, it's, it's not been what people expected, I think out of the gate. And so I appreciate that they're kind of embracing the, you know, we got to do this. And, and when you talk about developmental program, right, that's what he sells us on. This is your third year. This is when you should see the development piece really kick off and you should see things change and I think last year they lost so much time with COVID and no spring really at half a third of a spring at six practices so 15 uh, fall camp was all jacked up um, you know you know people don't even realize like how many guys were would be in and out because of protocols and all those other things going on and all the weird stuff they'd change in practice and um it, it it's it's that's the part that sucks because like if you're a more experienced program, kind of look at how the basketball teams kind of bounce back. Uh, you can bounce back a little bit faster, and the older teams seem to fare a lot better in 2020. Um, just in general, in college football. Um, but this is a big year, and um, you know they signed a well, it was not highly ranked. I thought a very good class given the amount of transfers they took. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where where they kind of go and how they develop players now, because that's the piece that's – that's what they got to hang their hat on, right? This is the thing literally he sold when he got hired. We're going to develop guys, put them in the NFL. We're going to win a lot of games, all right? So you've changed over the roster probably to the tune of 75% at this point, 60%, 75 
the ones that are left are all kids that would have been recruited by this staff probably um, for the most part. So it's like, let's see what you can do now. Like there's no, you don't, can't get blown out by like a Virginia Tech anymore or Syracuse. Like that's got to stop. And that's um, where it's going to get real interesting to me. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You know, you said that the, the class wasn't really, you know, highly rated um, since, you know, they didn't get to the, the 20 that, you know, rivals counts for the, the commitments. Um, even if you go off of the, the average star ranking, which is another feature they have, like in the team rankings, I believe they last I checked when I was writing my five who could be next piece that went up this morning on the site, I believe it was 31st nationally is what they were at uh, like 3.2 or something like that because, you know, they did end with uh, four four stars, which is – And they got Ray Sager, did. which helped with average stars too. Yeah, absolutely, because when you have the, the 5.4 with another with the 5.4 with the punter, you know, you, you're kind of playing with uh, a little bit of the devil's money there, having two of those and then – having Zeke Biggers, who is um, getting ready. I think he's, what, three weeks away, maybe less than three weeks away. What's today's date? Today yeah, is the three day. weeks away. Yeah, he's three weeks away from uh, his senior debut on the football field. <laughs> and no one's seen him, so that's, like, the thing that killed that kid, too. Like, yeah, it's funny because we had all these grand plans, like who we were going to see and what we we're going to go do and – you know, oh, yeah. I was probably going to go out to California to see Perry. Uh, Russell and I were kind of arguing over who's going to go go make the trip to California uh, to go see. I was going to pull big time and then go out there and do it. Um, but, like, none of that happened, right? Perry didn't even have a senior season. He's at Georgia Tech now. The Carolina and Virginia kids from those areas didn't have – North Carolina and, and Virginia didn't have seasons. Um you know, others who had these weird seasons that were sort of hodgepodges. Um, so, you know, it's going to be uh, sort of fun to see. I'm curious how this weird season and your Jeff Collins is just like praying this kid doesn't get hurt playing football now in the winter because that sort of yeah. sucks for you. Like you want to have him. And he's a kid that, let's be honest, Zeke's a guy that's going to take a little bit of time. He's not an out of the box starting defensive tackle for George Tech. Like he's a, Right. Yeah. So, you know, his ranking's not nope. that far off from where it probably belongs. Like, um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, um, I think the thing with him also is, is that, you know, he's been playing basketball these past few months too. And, uh, you know, when the, the he found out that they were in fact going to have a season in the state of North Carolina, you know, I'm sure that, you know, there was some thought there that, you know, Hey, maybe I, maybe I should just enroll early at Georgia tech. And maybe I should, you know, play my senior year, hang out with my teammates, do it with this new coaching staff. They got a full, like a new coaching staff at West Rowan. Yeah, that's right. And I forgot about that. Like two days after I did my coach speak interview, the kid, <laughs> I see it come across my timeline that he accepted a new job. And I'm like, wow. And that's just, that's just how high school football goes. But you know, getting back to Biggers. Um, you know, getting the chance to get that these extra snaps under his belt. You know, he's going to see more snaps regardless. I mean, unless he gets injured or opts out after, you know, a couple of games, he's going to get more snaps then than he would have in the spring. Now, is he going to get the same type level of coaching, strength and conditioning, 
um, diet program, any of that? Absolutely not. But he's going to be getting reps. He's going to be probably playing both ways, to be honest. And um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's an unprecedented time, and it's going to be an unprecedented football season there. And, you know, if one of us are able to go see him, I mean, we we may. But it's going to all boil down to, number one, if he's playing. Because, you know, two years ago I was getting ready to go to Virginia to watch a certain linebacker. And um, I think, was it three days or two days before, all of a sudden I find out that uh, there's, I didn't need to make that trip. Yep, that was uh, – at least it was before we booked to the hotel or before it was yeah. too late to cancel it. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I'd forgotten about that the season's even starting so soon. I had, was talking to a buddy of mine who's FCS coach, and he was, like, inviting me to come to one of their games. And I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about? And then I realized <laughs> they're playing because I was like, and then I was like, well, if you come, I was like, I don't want to go to where you are, but if you, he plays in a league that would play Mercer. Um, I was like, if you come here to Mercer, I was like, I'll make the probably like an hour and a half drive down there from here to go. Like, I don't want to go up yeah. where you are, but like, you know, it's just funny to me. Like, that's such a weird thing, the idea. And he was telling me it was, just, it was like snowing at their practices. And I was just like, <laughs> This is uh, such a bizarre thing, and you're gonna make these kids play twice and within a year. Like, yeah, they played. He's at one of the schools where they played in a bridge season, so it's like they played like a couple of games, stopped. They played like a couple of money games, stopped, and they're gonna play their league games. Like, it's just weird, man. This whole I'm so tired of the stuff, man. I just want to like have a normal season and like a normal be able to like travel and do the, like that's the thing that sucks too because it's like my favorite thing for relaxation is travel and I don't get you to do any of that and like I liked even the work travel like I don't mind like I create, carve out ways to make it like enjoyable when I have to go you know to Ariel Clemson next Friday for a basketball game you know like normally that would be a pleasant experience now it's really not very pleasant but um, I'm trying to go to stuff I can see in person because it's easier for me to do my job if I see it in person, even a basketball game. Um, it's the same thing with kids, man. We haven't seen any of these kids. I got lucky and saw a handful of kids at our rivals camp uh, in Orlando, which was one of like three or four we got in before all of this started. So um, it's just, you know, it's just frustrating, man, and I feel bad for the kids. I can't imagine, like, trying to go to a college that I've never been to, all I've ever seen is – because think about, like, um, like if you've ever, like, rented an apartment or bought a house or anything like that, and you look at pictures of, like, that apartment online, right, and it looks so cool and spacious and nice and the complex looks amazing and all this stuff, and then you get there. I'll tell a story from when I lived in Athens and was covering UGA. I grew up there, so I knew the area really well. And after I graduated from school, I decided I want to live on my own for the first time, but always had roommates, um, multiple roommates. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm working, I'm covering Georgia, let me get my own place. So I go to the north side of Athens, which is, um, it's like very kind of, sort of ghetto in some ways um, and kind of um, I don't even know how to put it but 
I go and I check out this place during the day, right? It's like a duplex and looks great. Uh, very quiet street. I move in and it turns out I'm living in a barrio, like a basically like a Hispanic ghetto. Um, and there's like chickens and like gun people got shot in the neighborhood and all kinds of stuff. Like it was turned out to be a very bad neighborhood. I just didn't know anything about it. Um, and had to live in this place for like a year, like in just a really bad neighborhood. And it was cool because the two, it turned out the two guys lived on the other side of duplex actually went to high school with me, which tells you a lot about the high school I went to and how poor it was. But, um, and so they kind of watched my back and I didn't have any issues because no one messed with me, I guess, but it just goes to show like you never know like what you're getting into. Like, and these kids are watching these, like they're watching on the screen, like the campus and, you know, they're not seeing like the dorm with the rats in it and, you know, like we're talking to the kids and seeing all like the weird stuff that goes on. Um, yeah. That you would find out actually like going on a campus and, Seeing, looking at kids in the eye and seeing their reactions when you ask them questions about the staff and stuff. Like, you still get any of that. Exactly. And uh, a lot of, a lot of kids have even started to think that, you know, some of the responses and like the, the conversations that they're having, whether it's like text messages over the phone, even some on FaceTime or like with some, with some schools, not even for the Georgia Tech, but like some of it's just calculated. Like, it's like, know it's like ingrained in the these coaches brains of what questions to answer what questions to brush off how to answer them you know every coach wants to be politically correct over the phone everybody wants to you know there's there's a lot of what does it coach speak I guess is a good way to put it that's being said and it's you know they're they're not going to show you that that back corner of the campus where you know so-and-so goes on and you know they're not going to be able to answer questions about it because if you don't bring it up I've had a lot of recruits tell me this. If, if you don't bring up a topic that is either controversial or, you know, something that you may have a question about down the road, I guarantee you they aren't going to bring it up. And it's just gotten to the point where in the uh, the 22 class, we started seeing um, quarterbacks and even some other positions kind of take trips on their own and, you know, take the recruiting process into their own hands because they are, number one, afraid to make a decision without seeing the place and also don't want to be that kid that's going on his third commitment before he even finishes his junior season of high school. Yeah, I mean, we've seen these kids that do like a swing through the southeast or whatever. There was a kid from either Texas or California. I remember he flew and like went to like Auburn, Florida State, Georgia, and somewhere else like on a trip. Yeah. Like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I've known a few kids that have um, had the – the wherewithal to do some of that part of the problem though is a lot of these kids they rely on their coaches or mentors or like friends of the family to take them on these trips to schools and say if you have an offer from georgia tech wake forest and louisville that's not the easiest trip to plan if you're from jacksonville for example right like you're going all over creation trying to you know that's that's an expensive trip and as adult to to program out and um that's you know and not everyone has the same means right i mean that's the one thing that people forget too like you know there's a lot of kids you know even at georgia tech that come from very tough backgrounds um you know the unfortunate tragedy of bryce gowdy really kind of shed a light on 
some of the problems because a lot of the kids kind of spoke up at the time they were on the team about how they had been in the same kind of shoes with, you know, home instability, food instability, you know, family issues, money, troubles, you know, mental illness and family members that are, it's, a, it's this whole time is so tough and it sucks they can't figure out how to at least give these kids an official visit in a way that was safe. I think there may have been a way to do that. Um, you know, uh, I think it's tough because of the coaches and their ages and stuff. I think that maybe have may have been part of why they pushed back. And I think a lot of the schools pushed back on the idea of having kids come out from elsewhere into their ecosystem and worrying they would bring, you know, COVID into the, the to, to the school. But the truth was, it was pretty much every school had major issues. Um, and in Wake Forest, the whole campus was like at one point, 10% of the campus was infected or something. And like all of their sports programs were shut down for almost a month. Like, yeah, it, it, it's just been a wacky year and I feel bad for these kids, man. Like I can't, it, and it's led to, a, it was a very strange recruiting cycle um, all the way around if you look at it. No one got to do their real evaluations. and uh, It'll be interesting to see if the clock changes a little bit this time around. Um, I know the coach Sabins of the world are a little more weary of not, of taking kids they haven't personally laid eyes on. And this 22 class, it would be very hard for you to lay eyes on. Georgia Tech has laid eyes on quite a few of these kids because they had the seven-on-seven camp in 2019, and they've, had, they were been very active in trying from the very moment they got on campus to having, you know, high school freshmen and sophomores on campus um, as soon as possible, just come check out games and meet the staff. So they've had a chance to at least eyeball. You know, I, I bet if we looked at the offer list, you know, there's probably at least 20 kids that have been on campus at least once. Um, yeah, I would even say more than that. Yeah, which is a lot higher rate than probably most of the schools are recruiting against right now, other than maybe. Alabama is a world where everyone just goes if they have the opportunity um, to go check out a game right. or whatever. But like, yeah. you know, if you're if you're Virginia, yeah, I wonder how much of their class has ever been into Charlottesville. You know, like, yeah, they don't have a, you know, they don't have a, you know, you can't draw a circle of 30 miles around the campus like you can Atlanta and, and literally just pull a class together that way. It, and those schools have got to be really hurting and all of this. So that's something that hopefully, you know, for Jeff Collins and them, and if you're a tech fan, they can take advantage of, you know, make the most out of proximity and the fact that these kids can hop in their car and go check out campus on their own. That's what a lot of coaches are doing. Um, well, <clears throat> this way, some schools who shall remain nameless have been hosting uh, quote unquote unofficial visits um, in their own <laughs> manner. Uh, but what other schools are doing is they have like, um, they'll take like your phone and FaceTime a coach and walk around and they'll talk you through the campus or whatever. And yeah. kind of a guided tour that way through the phone, um, which, you know, cool. I, um, I just, it's just going to be really interesting to see what happens with uh, if they lift, if they go to a quiet period in April, like we think they're going to, and if they allow, um, 
at least some sort of on-campus recruiting to go on. That would be interesting. And uh, if they allow coaches to go out, it would be really interesting to me too because they're all dying to go out, man. I, I know these guys, they love going to see kids. And the, the problem that lies with that is I think people don't realize when Kerry Dixon or Brent Key or whoever it is goes out, they're going. They're not going to one school. You don't drive to Birmingham, Alabama, or or fly to Houston, Texas, and go to one school. You're going to twelve. You're going to as many schools as you can hit in one day, right? Yep. And and that's tough, man. To in this current environment to be jumping around like that. That's you're putting yourself in, in harm's way, and um, that's going to be a really interesting piece of all of this and how the NCAA decides to to handle all this because anywhere you go is totally different you know the way a school here where i live in cobb county is handling something is totally different than my parents who live up in the mountains of north georgia or russell where he lives in ohio or like you know russ wood who works for me in, in florida like every one of them every one of us has like a totally even just going to a grocery store the way things are handled is totally different in each of those areas and um how does the NCAA try to police that or what does school do with some place like Georgia Tech that's been very, very cautious about how they've, what they've allowed their employees to do? How do they approach that? It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you want to run through, who, who do you think is the, um, let's go with the most, I guess, the least talked about player in the 21 class before we get to 22 For Georgia that Tech, you think is going to have the best, best career. The best career. That's an interesting question. Um, the best career in the 22. So I guess let's limit this to high school kids. Cause I think that's. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, my gut reaction when you said that was to go with Caleb Edwards, um, the safety pretty big on him. I, I think his position has always developed really well at Georgia Tech. Um, I, I just like his game a lot. Um, and on the offensive side of the ball, I'm a big Jack uh, James Blackstrand guy. Like I like him a lot. I like him a lot more than other people do. Um, obviously, we like him a lot. He's a four-star receiver, but I, I, just, I think he gives them a little something they don't have. Um, with Leo, I'm more curious kind of how they use him. Um, I actually see him being more like sort of what they did with P.J. Harris a little bit as a almost a flex um, Y, like a, a quasi-tight end um, slot receiver with that size and, and hands and everything. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how his body fills out once they get him in with Coach Lou. So that's sort of my take. I like Caleb though a lot. I think he's – and that room's super competitive, so I think it's a good space for a guy like that to be in where he's going to have to play his ass off to get on the field at all. So yeah. uh, th- those are the ones that stand out to me. What about you? See, mine is Leftwich, the, uh, the tackle from, from Westlake. Uh, you yeah, know, I think with his, with his size and his length and really just like the, the frame he arrived to, to Georgia Tech in when he, when he got there, I think that, you know, once he gets – some weight on him, you know, get some, some reps, some coaching. 
you know, improves the the technique a bit. I think that he could be, you know, I saw, I don't, I don't remember if it was a mailbag or what it was where you were projecting a 22 starting offensive line and you put him at left tackle and, and that kind of surprised some people that you could, you could definitely put me in the club of those who were not surprised whatsoever when I saw that name. Um, you know, some people came to, to some, some quick conclusions when he ended up as the, uh, you know, a, a three-star in the class. They didn't really see his ranking go up or down too much throughout the cycle. Um, but, but I think that was more so because of how hard it is for people at his position to be evaluated, not in person. And, I know that'll bring up some some old jokes about the the old line coach that Georgia Tech had, and all of the camp jokes. But you know, offensive line is so hard to evaluate, especially from a, a rivals perspective, where you know we're we're rating these kids, and there's that's probably one of the more volatile positions other than quarterback, where there are a lot of misses and a lot yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched Ben Cleveland who played at Georgia. who was a four star guy, and all he did was blow up a little like. 180 pound defensive end and little white guy that was from you know uh, you know redneck part of Georgia and he would just blow that kid up off the line because he was twice the size of him and the, you know there was an offensive lineman that was committed to Georgia Tech who was doing a little bit of that who's not in this class at one point but like you know there, that's the one thing you have to kind of guard against you want to see some technique and and Jakai is definitely one that I'm. Um, he's definitely up there for me. I was thinking more of like um, the, I would say what the, the high end ceiling is. I think left, which is a guy that is very comparable to Jordan Williams in terms of his rating, his recruitment and how Brett Key projects him. Right. Cause Key thinks he's going to be a guy that can, that could, he's, he's not quite where Jordan Williams was coming in but has that same potential to be a guy who plays early in his career and could be a starter early in his career. Um, and what about on the defensive side of the ball? On the defensive side of the ball, you know, yeah, you're, I'm really team. limited. Yeah, because, you know, that you've got the, the defensive linemen. You've got Gray Carroll. I, I guess I'm going to really Tatum. have to go with Gray. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to go with Gray or, or Tatum, but I think, you know, for the – for the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to, I'm going to go with, um, with gray, um, you know, gray, if he's able to make the transition from end to tackle, which I fully expect is completely underway. That is not sourced. That is not speculated. That's my opinion. Um, after talking to him, after talking to his high school coach, talking to everybody throughout the process, he always talked about getting to Georgia tech and putting weight on the right way. And if he's going to put on weight the right way, I, I can assume that that is because he's going to make the move inside. And and Carroll is, is quick off the ball. You know, he's he's got a great motor. You know, he was – I think he, he was in on almost – maybe there were maybe five or six plays I watched in the state title game that he was not at the ball at the point of attack. When, when the ball carrier was getting tackled, he was maybe a yard or two away if he wasn't involved in the play. And, I mean, Alcoa dominated the four years he was there. He, he won four state titles. But I just think that he has the upside to be, you know, the impact defensive lineman if he's able to, you know, like I said, put on that weight. You know, he reminds me of a little bit is Adam Gotsis, who came in um, from Australia and was uh, 
Adam was a bigger guy because he was a little bit older um, and had been working with a trainer in Australia specifically to get bigger and put the size on him. But, uh, you know, about the same height and, and frames, pretty similar, high motor guys. Um, <clears throat> Adam was a guy who could play tackle or it was a three four end um may, may have played some strong side in the first year i can't remember now it's been eight years nine years since he was attacked uh, as a freshman so it's a little hard to remember that far back but um greg could definitely do that i was big on him when they signed him i like that kid a lot too um i thought he was a so really interesting prospect and i like all of the defensive linemen they've added in this class and, um you know micaiah so that was a guy that probably should have taken him the first time around. Um, yeah. I think if they had really gone after him, they could have got him the first time around. And yeah, he said it himself. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've like Noah and Joshua, I like that they're getting bigger. Uh, guy, like those guys aren't um, is like for all things Kyle Kennard did well, he still was really skinny. And those guys have a little more size on him uh, out of the box a little bit. Kevin Harris will be interesting to see where he's at. Um, yeah, he has that time in that Alabama strength and conditioning program. And they got Keon. They took his transfer. who's a freak. So can he translate yeah. that to the ACC level? So, yeah, it's a lot. Of, and they got Zeke. I saw Zeke at a – I thought he was an NFL guy. Like, I texted Russell. I was at a Georgia Tech practice. And I was like, dude, there's a guy here that's like freaking looks like he plays in the NFL. He looks like he's 20-something years old. And then – I realized he had like a like a lanyard on, and that he was a recruit. I was like, "What the hell?" And I did some digging and found out who he was, and was like, "Holy smokes!" I was like, "I was like, if you teach that kid to fall forward, he can be a force for you." I mean, it's like he didn't necessarily have to do anything. He's a guy that's gonna eat up two blocks, so if he can just kind of yeah. figure it out, he's a true nose, um, size wise. Uh, oh, absolutely. So, you know, that's something they're they're kind of missing. They don't have anyone that size on the roster right now. Like, there's not a giant human like that that can plug a hole. Um, he's, he's even bigger than, like, Daquan Dows or uh, Lockhart or those guys who are coming out of high school. So I'll be excited to see um, how big that kid ends up being when they get him in and start putting the food in him and, and the strength and conditioning piece. Yeah. No, I can uh, I can agree with you there. Now uh, uh, you know, gonna move it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna ask. Uh, you know, Rivals unveiled the twenty top twenty five recruiters um, in the country today on the site, and I was curious between you and me who your Georgia Tech recruiter of the year would have been. That is an interesting question. Um, I think for the previous cycle, it was probably Marco. Um, it was either Marco or Tashard. Because uh, Tashard got Gibbs and Marco signed a bunch of kids. Um, he did a really good job as a first-time recruiter on the road. And this class was a little bit different. Um, my initial gut reaction is to say Brent Key. Because I like what he did with the offensive line class between the transfers and and West Franklin and Lethwich, um, who we signed. Um, 
And then you saw, you know, Choice play the long game again with Tatum and, and come out on top there. Um, but, yeah, I guess I would go with um, – I feel like I would go with Brand. I like the job that he did. You know, in some cases he was, you know, sort of the two, like a – left which I guess technically he's not the, the A recruiter. It would be the B recruiter on that because uh, the yeah. A recruiter would be the one. But, you know, I didn't, the way I looked at this class was a little different. I thought it was much more balanced in terms of how they signed kids than maybe the year before where it was – it was a little more fragmented. I think this time around, if you kind of look through the list, um, you have something from like every guy, like Thacker had a couple of kids, uh, you know, Popovich yeah. had kids, um, Kerry Dixon, you know, Key, Choice, um, uh, Nate Burton. Um, yeah. Trying to think uh, who else signed kids. Um, who had Sarah Right. So, uh, is that Choice? It was Choice and Nate Burton. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna... You know, um, you had, like, Postma, you had, it was Carrie Dixon and, and Coach Wiesahan. Yeah. Uh, that's that's who I'm picking. I've got uh, okay. you took you took Key. Yeah, I'm taking Kerry Dixon. Uh, you know, Kerry was able to, you know, him the combination, him and Larry Knight uh, combined was able to beat off you know some pretty big schools who came in, um, even you know, down the the wire trying to get Leo to, to push things back even just a day or two so they could evaluate their options and see who they missed on in the early signing day. Um, being able to do that with Blackburn. Um, identifying and staying on James Blackstrain, even when he released that top schools list, it didn't include them. And, you know, at that point, I believe it was when um, we removed Blackstrain from the offer list. And yeah, he weird. had sent, a, he had sent a tweet and I had just, you know, followed up with him to see what was going on. And like, we had like a 45 minute conversation and he was just like explaining everything to me and, I mean, now that he's signed, sealed, and delivered, I can say that was when he told me he was going to commit there. And um, it, it was just amazing to, to hear how much of a factor just the consistency was for him, especially with the, the pandemic, um, Blackstrain's injury, which kind of at one point had um, shut some schools off from him. Um, and then you also had, you know, Jamal Haynes and, and Malik Rutherford. It, Dixon signed, I would say the the most. He signed kids the most kids. Yeah, yeah, he signed five. I guess I guess I should have put him in as a uh, nominee for the the top twenty five. Looking at it now and looking at some of the coaches that made it, but you know, I just think that you know this time next year is when I expect Georgia Tech to have one coach, if not two, on there. You know, depending on how school how kids make their choices and how you know the analysts make theirs. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I didn't feel like um, they had a guy that was maybe ready to be on that list. So yeah, I didn't. I didn't either. We didn't push um, in that direction because we were asked our opinions, and I was kind of like, you know, when I was looking at it, it seemed a little more spread out. But you're right, Kerry did have a big chunk, but they were also that was sort of a, a need. Um, 
as well with him. You know, they needed um, a lot of help at receiver because you lost to Mary Brown and um, you needed help at outside receiver where they, you know, lost Jalen Camp and, and, and Steve Dolphus had left. Um, so they were already sort of down in numbers. So they had three sort of quasi-outside receivers and then two slots. Um, so it was a little, his was a little more, you know, specific, whereas like, uh, you know, on the D-line offers, for example, like, you know, sort of a split between like Larry Knight and different coaches and how, who recruited those guys. So yeah. it's been kind of interesting to see um, how the different kind of, things have played out and some of it too is luck man in the cycles like who's got an area that's hot or whatever that produces like I don't think they took anyone out of Jacksonville a cycle which kind of hurt uh, Marco a little bit who's been yeah. really good for them um, down in that area whereas in the previous class they had hit that harder uh, you know getting um, they, they couldn't go there to see him yeah, well, that hurt too, yeah. I mean, then like in 20, they had – who did Marco have? He had uh, – He had Sims. He had Brooks. He had yeah. – um, I believe he played a part in uh, Avery Boyd too, Tallahassee. And Tally. Um, and then he had his, his defensive lineman as well. So um, – Yeah. That he was – because they signed a whole bunch of defensive ends in the class and he was – involved in all of those recruitments as well. So, you know, and then you had choice won the big battle in, in 20, in the 2020 class with, with Gibbs landed him, yeah. um, you know, and, and spent so much energy on that. And then it, the year before it closed, uh, uh, Jemias as well. Um, you know, with, with a lot of help, um, from work done by the previous staff, to be honest with you, and them, and then having Quan uh, on the team already too, uh, yeah, helped a lot as well. But it's gonna, you know, this this cycle should be very interesting because no one's, you know, like I said, there's a lot of kids that just no one's seen. Georgia Tech's offering a lot of, they're recruiting more nationally early on in this class than they have the last two cycles in terms of offers and stuff. You go look at it, they've been offering all kinds of kids out of Louisiana and Texas. And, um, uh, they, they offer, they offered a tight end and somewhere weird the other day. Um, God, where was it? That show was like, wow, I don't even think I've ever seen anyone offered from this state recently. Um, uh, Nebraska, they offered a kid in Nebraska. I was like, I, 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 I mean, I've been doing this since 2009, and I don't recall Georgia Tech ever offering a kid in Nebraska the entire time I've been doing this. Um, yeah, the right. tight end board's really interesting. They got offering Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio, Washington, D.C., Texas, another in Ohio, Nebraska, and Florida. So you got seven states for like 10 offers, which is <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of fascinating. They're learning the lesson that everyone else has learned. If there's a tight end who's like decent in the state of Georgia, he's probably going to Clemson, Georgia, Auburn, or Bama, and or Ohio State, or Ohio State. And there's usually only like two. So like, um, you gotta kind of cast a wider net at that tight end position. For whatever reason, Georgia's not uh, had a lot of depth 
recruited at a position uh, at tight ends for some reason. It's sort of like quarterbacks where they've had – they went through a spell for a number of years where the quarterback recruiting was super weird in Georgia. It's, it's the going to the spread and, and that kind of rise of the athletic quarterback has really helped out the state. But there was a stretch before that, before the Deshaun Watson kind of era where there were just not a lot of – in-state quarterbacks who were like super interesting um and even georgia tech running the option was having to go out of state a lot to recruit quarterbacks they got a couple from north carolina during the time and, um, and some other and one from california because in alabama because they were just they got two from alabama during the stretch there just was it was kind of a weird pattern and now it's settled down more and you're seeing you know mj morris and sam horn and um you know, some other guys kind of rise to the surface in state. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, the the quarterback board has been uh, quite the quite the topic on the, the message board lately. And um, you know, what's happened is, is you know these kids they're they're not having these these like camps where they're like camping in front of college coaches, and they're not having these um, they're not putting out like highlights. And when this happens, like when you don't have either one of those and then like you, you know, possibly go to a performance, like a, like a, I don't know what you would call it, a, a clinic or something like that. And you don't perform your best. That's going to factor in more than it would on a normal basis because there's nothing that you have that backs up your, uh, like your backs up your rating, I guess is a good way to put it. And when, when you're investing so much time, and other things, you know, throughout the pandemic, whether it's, you know, applying another sport, trying better, harder in school, you know, spending time with a girlfriend, that kind of stuff, you know, football takes a back seat. And that's when, you know, mechanics become inconsistent. That's when conversations with coaches fall off. That's when these, these kids, like, you know, especially at Georgia Tech right now, the, the board at quarterback is significantly different now than it was even three weeks ago. Well, things can change, man. Like, you know, I remember even in the last cycle, in the one camp that I went to, there were a bunch of schools recruiting this kid. So Walter Simmons, is that his name? Yeah. And he stunk to high heaven at this camp, at our rivals camp, and stunk it up at a couple other things too. And it got to the situation where even like some of the kids that were George Tigers recruiting other schools were telling people like, Hey man, this kid, you know, I don't know, you know, what's going on there, but he's not throwing well. And, you know, people ask, it's something that goes on that people don't realize too, is they'll ask other kids about their thoughts on a kid. Maybe if they've worked out with them at a camp or whatever. And that kid, yeah. that kid, that he like all his offers shriveled up because he just was really struggled. And, then you, people went back and started looking at whole game film on him and starting to see the flaws in his game. And, you know, he was, just a, he was just like an option. He really was probably more of an option quarterback. He was not a guy that was super accurate. He was not really good at reading defenses down the field. He was very athletic. And um, I forget where he went. Did he go to Marshall or someplace like that? But, like – East Carolina. East Carolina, okay. So, like – yeah. He was a guy that had P5 offers. They had George Tech offer at one point um, before they took Chaden Perry. And 
all these schools just backed out of the kid because, I mean, I watched it for myself. I was watching him really closely because he was one of, like, three quarterbacks that um, Georgia Tech was recruiting at this one camp I was at. So I was like, let me focus in and watch this kid a lot just to see what's going on. I was like, oof, you know, like, whereas, like, a lot of times, nine times out of ten when there's one of those kids, you're like, oh, yeah, like, you know, like, that kid can sling it, you know. Like, I remember watching Davis Mills. Um, you know, at a camp five years ago, or uh, yeah, I can go all the way back. I saw Nesbitt and um, Cam Newton and uh, Tebow and someone else. They were all in a camp together. It wasn't Tebow. It might have been Cam Newton. I'm trying to remember the timeline. Cam Newton, Nesbitt, the 2008 quarterback class isn't it no 2007 um and it was like a nike camp i went to remember it was um just like the who's who of quarterbacks and yeah it's just such a different thing than when you see like uh kind of those kids all together um i want to say that like willie corn was there and this kid, Logan Gray, who ended up playing at Georgia, and all these quarterbacks were at this camp, and you can kind of tell just watching, I could tell watching Nesbitt throw, like, it's like, I don't know if that's going to work in Chan's offense, you know, like, he's yeah. he's got quite a hitch in his motion. Um, and, you know, those things kind of stand out in, in that setting where you should be really good if you're not really good, it's um, it kind of stands out. I want to say, uh, trying to think who else was in that camp. It was a really good one. But anyways, regardless, it was a uh, one of those things where like, if you just perform poorly, like a a camp, it can hurt you a little bit. But it also hurts when you don't perform, right? Like there's that yeah. that freaks coaches out even more. Like if you're too scared to go compete, like it's one thing if you have an off day, and that's why you should do more than one, right? Like because sometimes I've seen kids that have an mm. off day that are really talented, like just not catch the ball or whatever it is, or you know they have a sore arm and not throw the ball well. And um, Bonex do that for a full seven on seven tournament. Yeah, I mean it happens, dude. Like you know. Um, and then sometimes you see guys throw dimes. Um, I remember we went and saw Tucker Gleason throw, and he had a great camp at Georgia Tech at a 707. With yeah, and Billy Ward, his teammate for the day. Yeah, that was funny that they had ported Billy Ward over to help him um, for the day. But like, and then Billy got hurt, which was even weirder. <laughs> um, yeah, he twisted his ankle or something at the camp, but. That's one of those weird things about these, like, uh, you can't think. Coaches want to know they want to compete, right? They don't want people who are scared of competition. That's something that, you know, obviously it's Jeff, one of Jeff Kahn's mottos, competition is king, right? It's something that yeah. they literally say every practice. They have a, literally a competition with a crown that they hold up and everything. And um, it's – you got to not be scared of it, but you also got to, you got to perform when the lights are on too, man. And that one kid was kind of like a great example of not performing when the light is on. Um, and yeah, he had, he had an LSU offer at one point. Yeah. I mean, he was at 
like a really interesting looking prospect. Great, looked good physically, uh, could move around really well. And I remember talking to Buddy, I was like, man, I was like, this dude could run, but I was like, he cannot throw like in a pocket. Like when he had to stand still, set his feet and throw the football, it was terrible. Yeah. And there are a lot of kids like that, man, that need the moving. Pl- and that's fine. You got to go, go. There are systems that are set up like that, that uh, move pockets and, uh, Louisville is very much that off. That's their sort of scheme. They run a stretch scheme, and they yeah, do a lot of. That's, that's how they were able to take Tarrant T.J. Lewis this past year from Georgia. You know, Georgia Tech was recruiting him as a DB, and, and they had a really good shot. And then Louisville came in and said, "Hey, we'll give you a chance at quarterback," and he's you know all for it because you know, like you, you just explained with Walter Simmons, you know, he can't. He's not exactly a, a pocket passer or, or even like a even not even Jeff Sims in terms of, you know, being capable in the pocket, but he was able to, um, you know, get out of the pocket and make plays. And that's what he's going to have a chance to do at Louisville, especially with their, their turnover at the quarterback position. Well, if you look at the guys who were playing, that's kind of Malik Cunningham is very much of that same ilk, right? Malik is, um, I want to say Malik might've been recruited trying to remember Malik is like I knew him as a recruit I'm trying to remember his whole recruitment but um it was back in 17 he came out and he went to uh Louisville and Georgia Tech was on him like pretty hard when they were running the options so it sort of gives you an idea of um kind of what um to me, that's sort of like if you're running what they're running now, you don't want that like kid to come be your <laughs> like those that doesn't fit what Georgia Tech's doing now at all, right? Like so you're looking for a totally different thing because Pat Note apparently likes a guy that stands in the pocket. He doesn't move the pocket around a ton, um, other than right. the first game at Florida State for Jeff. So um, yeah, you you got to go with what uh, what makes sense for your your system, right? And so for Louisville, Walterson might do well there, but he wasn't going to do well at Georgia Tech or South Florida or um, any LSU or any of the other schools that recruited him that don't play that style of football. And that's right. something kids miss on a lot too, man. Like you got to find something that fits your skill set. Like mm-hmm. don't – yeah, that's I think what the trap Kevin Harris fell into, uh, who's now Georgia Tech. He went to Alabama, was tweener size-wise as a defensive end, and it was going to take him an incredible amount of work to get big enough to play uh, three, four defensive end because he needed to be almost 300 pounds. Or, yeah, and then you know, play linebacker, you got to be comfortable playing in space, which he wasn't. Right. Exactly, and that's uh, that's the that's the this like you said scheme fit, and and really that's why so many kids talk about finding a home and, and you know when it, it comes to finding a home it's just it's still so much more than you know what, what coach shows the most love or what campus is the, the nicest what girls are the prettiest you know like it's a lot of these Everybody's kids got pretty you know, girls I, even georgia tech dude like i walk exactly. by the sorority houses all the time there's plenty of attractive co-eds walking around the georgia you know it's funny is one thing i noticed uh because the way georgia tech set up is the athletic facility and all the football stuff's right next to where all those sorority houses are. So to me, coming from Athens, it didn't seem dissimilar to me from a school that was actually more heavily female, slotted percentage-wise, and, and 
Um, it wasn't until I went on the other parts of campus at Georgia Tech that I noticed the actual that it wasn't quite as you know as similar as maybe Auburn or Clemson or Georgia or whatever. But in the part that you're on, it is pretty similar. And the guys find playing girls, they can get take girls to Georgia State or whatever, man. Like that's sh- there's always going to be unless you're at like I don't even know like MIT maybe or something really off the grid like. Um, there's going to be attractive women. Like, it's just the way it is yeah. now. Like, that can't, I have, God, I remember there was a kid that was committed to Georgia Tech probably 10 years ago, when it was right when I first started. And he followed his girlfriend to Auburn and she broke up with him. And he ended up transferring back to Georgia Tech and he had to, like, beg them to take him. And, it was like the dumbest thing. And I was talking to him on the phone. He's telling me what he was doing. Like they was committed to Auburn and all that. And he ex- explained the story to me. And I was like, I was like, did you talk to your parents? Like about what you're doing? Like you're following your girlfriend? Cause like, that seems a little crazy. No, this kid actually didn't transfer back. I take it back. That was mixing two stories up. There was a kid who was committed to Georgia Tech. He flipped to Auburn. And he did it because his girlfriend got in school there, and then they broke up like within a year. And and he never played; like he wasn't good enough to play at Auburn. Like I could have told him that. Like he just at that time he was um, he would have been a decent player at Georgia Tech in the scheme they were running at the time, the option scheme. Like he was an offensive lineman and just didn't fit. And he was chasing his girlfriend, and then they broke up. And I knew the kid really well. Like, he didn't live too far away from me. I knew him really well as a recruit. And I should, like, I keep me, like, we don't interfere in what kids do, but I should remember telling the kids, like, make sure you, like, really think about what you're doing. Like, you know, when you, these are big decisions. Like, talk it through with everyone in your life. Like, because I was like, this is, you know, I was like, you're freaking 17 years old or whatever, man. Like, <laughs> need some advice from some older folks, man. And I tell the same thing yeah. to people in my life now, like, that are not in football or whatever. Like, um, and Russell's different. Russell's a guy who's got married really young and stuff. So you're on the opposite of the scale of this. But I've, my advice has always been, like, if you're 17 and in love with some girl chasing her, that is a really stupid way to make decisions on, on what you're going to do with your life. Like, and, um, and, you know, moving across the country or moving to other towns or choosing what college you go to based on where your girl is going, when she's probably going to be disinterested in you as soon as you get on a college campus and she has all these new experiences in a different lifestyle, um, where, you know, you're kind of free for the first time in your life. Like it changes everything, man. Like, I, you know, I can count on my hands the number of people I know married to someone that they were dating in high school, you know, that are over, you know, between the ages of, say, like, 25 and 45, you know, like, the, the odds aren't great there for you, man, like, unless you're going to, like, religious school or you're a Mormon or something or, like, it just ain't. The odds are really stacked against you. They're like NFL level odds, probably. Like, y'all are going to stay together. So, like, don't, 
<laughs> don't make your decision based on that, man. That's like the first thing I would tell somebody. I was like, the other thing, the other piece of advice I always give kids is like, you can't make your decision based on what your parents want for you. It's one thing if you have a jacked up family situation and like you have a, a parent who's sick or a sibling that's really sick and you want to be around for them or they need your help or support or whatever. That's a thing. Your family situation is pretty normal or they don't aren't like you're, it's not a situation like that. You need to go what's be, do what's best for you and set your life up in your future. Cause that's ultimately going to be the thing that helps your family. If you're successful, you'll be in a much better position to help your family than you are as you know, a guy with a mediocre degree that didn't play at some factory school that's, you know, managing a McDonald's um, or, uh, excuse me, co like an assistant manager at McDonald's, probably not managing McDonald's. Like, and there's a lot of that goes on, man. You'd be shocked, like, where I see some of, the, some of these kids end up that went to some of these dumb, like, just made dumb decisions, like, with college and, like, the weird kind of jobs they have. How many of them? Our personal trainers at a gym or like you know not knocking people to do stuff like that it's one thing if that was like your career goal but clearly that was not what these people intended to do with their lives like they were yeah. thinking they were playing the nfl like i'm going to the league i'm going to be i'm going to buy a car for mama and a house for her and all this stuff and they're instead of living at home with mama and you know i've just made a series of terrible decisions like it drives me crazy. It sucks because you see all this stuff. You have this, all this sort of wisdom internally, but we can't share with people, man. Like, uh, to a point, like, I will, if someone asks me point blank something, I will answer them to, as long as it's not influencing their decision in any way, shape, or form. I'm never going to tell someone where to go to school, unless it was someone within my own family, but, or someone I had a prior relationship with, too, before I was covering all this stuff but man I also could tell you the number of kids we see that make dumbass decisions because of stupid people in their lives is staggering um, and it goes on literally all the time and it, it is one of the things that frustrates me the most about doing this job is, is seeing just the shitty advice that people give kids and the, the lack of um, level headedness and and, and you know, people trying to chase what they think is going to be a quick buck or whatever. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put that. I mean, do you have a do you have a comparable story, Russell, where you've seen some kid kind of go off the rails? I'm thinking of a, a certain former Alabama commitment from the class of 2020, who is now, um, I believe, selling studio time in Atlanta. Nice. For, uh, for a living, I don't don't know exactly what happened there. I know um, we had a lot of kids who didn't necessarily qualify in the 2020 class, and then they knew they weren't going to qualify, so they didn't sign NLI. What happened was these kids they were all signing up for that USA Academy, <laughs> uh... and uh, and that USA Academy completely fell apart so quickly. And um, these kids, they were left, you know, I think I think one ended up in Kansas. And I think he has to stay another year still. Um, another one went to, uh, there's a prep school in Georgia. I can't remember what it's called at the moment. I think it's Georgia Knights or something like that. Yeah, I can't think of what it, yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. But 
there's another one there. And then one went to the one in South Carolina. And then you had this former Alabama commitment who was at one point, I believe, the top 100 kid who is just completely out of the game of football. And, um, I mean, you know, the, the kids at that high school, too, I mean, they're, they're, their success rate the past, like, five or so years, maybe even 10 years, because I can even go back to when I was working at a co- at, for a school, and um, the, it was just the, the kid that they had from that high school was just a train wreck. <laughs> yeah, it's been um... – it's sort of amazing to me sometimes what 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 we what goes on and uh, you know it's maybe the pr- depressing part of our job sometimes. Yeah, it's the it's the part of your job where you kind of like you you wish that there was like a switch you could flip and like all of your wisdom you had you could tell to somebody else who would then tell it to them. Yeah, but that's not that's not how this works. And that's the kind of like the real life side of, you know, being a recruiting analyst and doing what we, what, what I do and what, you know, you've done for so long is, you know, the, these are real kids, like, you know, their decisions have consequences just like yours do. And if they make a series of bad decisions, they're not going to be able to play at said university. Like, and it's that kind of stuff that kind of keeps, um, keeps everything in perspective really because you know just as quickly as these kids are being offered these scholarships like I talked to a kid tonight or today who on Friday when we're recording this who just got a Georgia Tech offer and him and his dad are just you know like over the moon and you know so excited and and, I mean they they he had the offer for for quite some time but he wanted to wait to try to you know stay focused through everything and not get so caught up in the process like so many kids do and and that's the risk that, you know, when you've got kids, like back in the day, maybe even just two or three years ago, you would have a recruit who would tweet out a number. He would number every single offer he had. Number it would be offer number, yep. number 24, number 37, number 50. And, like, you would have these kids who would, like, do these things and get so caught up in the process that, you know, they would they would go on as many college visits as they possibly could. They would max out their parents' credit cards. They would do this because they assumed that they're going to be able to one day pay them off. They're going to make some money. They're going to get to college. They're going to get to the NFL. Who needs a degree? Let's get three and out and, and move on. And that's not how things go every all the time. And I think that, you know, that may have been what happened with this particular kid. You know, he may have gotten a little too too caught up in everything and, you know, waited too long to make a decision the one time and you know when it came down to it it was a couple weeks before signing day and he was going to have an official visit you know it it didn't end up happening because of some some things and and it's just you know like I said that's the the real life part of our job and not disclosing that information is, is so important to keep sources to keep relationships to you know for the the livelihood of our jobs yeah, it's, and we're not trying to make ourselves part of the story. At the end of the day, we're reporting on the story, and you know, I'm exactly the smart parents will come up and ask us questions. I know I go to a lot of these camps, and so I've met a lot of parents end up here elsewhere, and I'm always happy to give parents advice because it's a little more removed, and and just kind of talk about the process and warn them about situations like you talked about. Like you can't take too long 
to make a decision. It's paralysis by analysis at that point. You're like, you're going to end up, you know, screwing yourself, quite frankly. Like, if it's taking you that long to make a decision, there's a major problem and you need to re probably reset and rethink everything. And the thing I always tell people is like, make a list of what's important to you. Like, what do you want? What are your short-term goals? What are your long-term goals? Um, and then try to evaluate each opportunity based on those. Like, is it more important for you to your parents to see you play every game? Or is it more important for you to get the best education you can get or have the best opportunities to the field right away or the best system fit for you or whatever it is? Like, you got to weigh all of those things, especially when you get into skill set positions. Um, or it's really can be, uh, you know, your choice in a system or whatever can really make or break your career. So it's a lot to think about, and it's something that um, is frustrating for us to watch as an outsider, watch kids make mistakes and not take, you know, go be the sixth defensive tackle at Alabama instead of probably being like the top three at, at another school. Like, you know, if you're yeah. not. And clearly probably not good enough, just the guy they're taking their practice step that they're going to end up processing in two years if yeah. he doesn't show anything. And those kids are the ones getting hurt the most right now by the portal because coaches with power are able to kind of maneuver them out of the system. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the portal and all these kids flowing into it and and if there's changes to scholarship limitations because of it, um, I don't know what's going to happen. I think the 85 cap may be something that comes into question here soon uh, with so many kids in the portal. Because um, it's almost a, what I would almost term a crisis point now with the amount of kids that are going to not probably finish their college degrees because they've left schools and opportunities behind and, and don't have anything lined up. Yeah, I agree. But uh, we've rambled on longer than we expected to, but uh, especially on a Friday night. Um, any final thoughts, Russell? Well, I mean, the uh, basketball team's got a – what did you call it before we started recording? A gauntlet coming up? Yes, they are playing – play Notre Dame Saturday night, and then they play 5-11, and 4-7. and seven is, uh, I think the 4-7 and is the bigger part of it. Um, you play Notre Dame, who's really been hot, but beating the, been beating the bottom half of the league. They play Virginia, who's one of the toughest teams to match up with in the country. And then you play at Clemson, Pitt, and BC, which are all – you know, all of those games are winnable games. It's going to be hard to run through all of them in a short span yeah. and have any legs. And then yeah, they travel I, down to Miami um, after a few days off. So – it's a tough two-week run for Georgia Tech basketball. I watched Miami beat a Duke team that I had no expectations of. I put that game on for background while I was writing a story, and all of a sudden, Miami's beating Duke, and I'm like, what? Just in time before they get Georgia Tech. Uh, they got a few games between now and then, but um, Larry Nagy is not a bad – here's the thing, man. Like, everyone you run into – Every coach he's going to face going forward, except for maybe Jim Christian, is a pretty good coach, even capable at Pitt. And they're capable of beating the BCs. Seems like they're 
have kind of reverted back to being Boston College. But, like, the league's not easy, man. Like, there are no layups in this league. And I just think people, you know, it'll be interesting. I think if they can go – if they can get away with only three losses this month, I think that puts them in the position to make the tournament. I think four will be hard. They'll have to do well in Greensboro um, and make sure they sweep the the rest of their March games, but which would be tough. But it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what old what old Passner has up his sleeve. They need to get this done here and um, get in the tournament. I think it would be a huge kind of programming program changing thing to get that monkey off their back. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. And I uh I can't believe we've gone over an hour and we didn't even talk about the twenty two commitment they got this week. Oh, uh the running back Antonio Martin. Yeah. I mean I think uh, I think that was a, a really good addition and I mean nothing against Juju Lewis, the the receiver from Florida who they had committed first originally, but I think that Antonio Martin is a very solid foundation and i believe that um it's going to someone they wanted the commitment from at the, the time they got it yes Unlike yes I, I would agree with, i would agree with that and uh, somebody who also i think they can they can build around i mean you know, they, they, it has potential to be a, a, a you know one of the top backs in the state um when this is all said and done and maybe has yeah. some four star potential uh down the line as well uh, on our end yeah, i think he, yeah, he was a four-star at one point, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he did get it back. Um, I think, you know, this season, you know, just like we've been talking in this whole podcast about how hard it was for, for coaches to, to to see kids, I think it was kind of hard for, for analysts to see Langston Hughes. I mean, nothing against the, the Langston Hughes program, but that wasn't exactly a, a, a team that everybody had circled on their schedules to go see as much as possible. And, uh, you know, moving forward and hopefully a, a camp cycle and then a hopeful campus camp cycle and then uh, his senior season, I think he's got a, a real chance to, to show um, the speed that I think people are questioning. I think they'll be able to see it once they see him in person. And I, I would I would really, really anticipate, you know, a four-star coming if he is able to do that. I mean, he's had everyone in the country recruiting him. Um... Yeah. Had offers from most of the the big programs in the southeast, including Alabama at one point. Um so that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, you know, another good win for, for Coach Choice and he continues to stack that running back room, which is nice to kind of see that tradition start to come back of having uh really deep talented running back rooms uh at Georgia Tech and that's something they really hung their hat on for a long time as a program and something that um, is encouraging to see come back has been sort of trending up the last few years even before this staff came in they've been starting to trend better again in that room and, and now it's nice to see um, you know what they've been able to put together with um, both Jordan a guy they inherited and then and Jameer Gibbs and and uh, Jemias and, and Dante Smith and Nagy the first new face and 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 over a cycle will be Antonio Martin, plus probably another guy I think before they're all said and done. So yeah, yeah, they'll take two this class. So yeah, it'll be nice to kind of see a, a restocking of the shelf, so to speak, uh, to build for the future because I, I can't imagine Gibbs is not a three and done kid, um, assuming he doesn't get hurt. Knock on wood. Um, you know, so they're going to need 
guys in that pipeline because everyone's older in that room is older than Gibbs. So need to start rethinking about the future. And it's good that they're kind of trying to address that and, and getting a high quality kid like this out of the gate is huge for them. Yeah, agreed. You know, high quality and high character for sure. Yep. All right, Russell. Well, we'll on that note, we will wrap things up. We'll try to be back with you next week. Uh, it could be a little tricky with we need to try to shoot for Thursday next week to record and put it out on Friday because of the Clemson game. But hopefully we'll be able to get that one out to you. And then the weird basketball schedule could be a little funky, but we'll do our best as we try to, to get the podcast to you more often and tell your friends, subscribe to jackets online, running a promo right now, 60 day free trial codes GT 60 on jacketsonline.com. And for Russell Johnson, and Paul Quinn, this has been the jackets online podcast.